On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, we talk about a busy couple of weeks on the website with our own Ian Wilson and a great chat with former Edmonton Cracker Cats hurler and world traveler Scott Richmond. Welcome to episode 23 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. Before we get to our first guest, we have some business to take care of. If you listen to the very end of episode 22, you'd have known to comment on a social media post about our podcast with the word gray or blue, as we do have some brand new swag we want to see worn around the baseball diamonds of this province. As a result, congratulations going out to Kathy on Twitter for her kind words about the podcast. We'll be in touch soon to get a shirt headed your way. Alrighty, on to today's episode. My co-conspirator in Alberta Dugout Stories is the one and only Ian Wilson. And glad to have him back joining us via phone today. Thanks for coming on, as always, Ian. Thank you for having me once again. All right, so you've been the busiest man in show business, I would say, because uh, I just have to talk. I don't have to actually worry, for the most part, about writing anything. And your deep dive on this Japan thing was crazy. Uh, I've straight up, I had no idea that you were even working on something this deep. So give us a little bit of context on, first off, how you came up with the idea, one, and to what lengths did you go through to actually come up with the piece that ended up becoming what everybody sees at albertadugoutstories.com? Yeah, it, uh, that was a story that uh, the, the way it all started for me was um, just I, I got this idea in my head where I was wondering, did Babe Ruth ever come to Alberta? Like not even necessarily as, a, as to play or, you know, just as make an appearance, that kind of thing. So it all started with that, and I got that kind of nugget of uh, info in my head, and it just kind of gnawed at me, and I was like, I need to find this out. I need to look into this. I remember reading at one point uh, years ago that, you know, Babe Ruth had been to the Banff Springs Hotel and things like that. Uh, So I just kind of, I wanted to firm it up, and and where that took me was uh, um, a website that you're very familiar with, uh, attheplate.com. Um, they do some great historical work there. And uh, just learning a lot more uh, about this trip in 1934, where uh, a team of all-stars, uh, Major League Baseball all-stars, all from the American League because the National League uh, had banned barnstorming tours. But anyway, this group, uh, there were actually two groups that went to uh, went to Japan. Um, this wasn't the first time to Japan. The, the baseball had kind of taken root there earlier and um but this was one of the i just found it immensely compelling uh the star power that was going to japan and also some of the players that were coming through alberta uh and essentially what they did is they came through uh it was happening in october of 1934 just as the world series was wrapping up um and you had um the first uh trainload of players that came through alberta they were the ones that were going to play some of these exhibition games. Uh, there were 12, 12 games in, in Canada in total out of the 19-game the tour. And, um, yeah, with stops in uh, Edmonton and Calgary on the way out to the coast because they were leaving by boat from Vancouver. So the first group of players, you know, there's a lot of players there that, um, you know, it's not the same as the Babe Ruth 
<laughs> Lou Gehrig dynamic, yeah. those names that people instantly recognize. But there was still a lot of star power on that tour, including uh, Jimmy Fox was uh, coming off uh, back-to-back AL MVP seasons in, I think, 32 and 33. Um, he was on the, the train, and he was expected to play in Alberta. What happened to him was he got uh, beamed in Winnipeg, uh, thanks, Winnipeg. <laughs> so <laughs> he could not play, uh, he could not take the field uh, when he got to Alberta. And um, he did, he actually did make an appearance uh, in Medicine Hat just to kind of bow to the crowd. But uh, as the newspaper said at the time, he was uh, slightly concussed <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and couldn't play. So, um, so he was out of the lineup that game, but uh, a, a player that uh, baseball fans of that era would have been familiar with was Heine Manouche, who's uh, another Hall of Fame player. Uh, and he got his start playing with the Edmonton Eskimos in 1921. So he did take the field. He went uh, he went deep when he played in Edmonton and hit a home run there uh, to everyone's delight. And uh, yeah, it was just, like I said, it was a team full of all-stars. They made their way on the coast uh, like so that that group left you had a train load of other guys that came through uh then and that train load included babe ruth uh lou gehrig lefty gomez uh guys like that and you know babe ruth didn't uh and lou gehrig didn't take the field in alberta but they did make a stop in calgary um the babe ruth at this time was just finishing his last season with the yankees uh, Lou Gehrig was coming off a triple crown uh, season, which somehow he didn't win the MVP that year. I don't know how that happened. And they, of course, had a interesting relationship as well. They had kind of, um, uh, their their wives didn't always get along. They didn't always see eye to eye. But Lou Gehrig was basically ascending. Babe Ruth was um, actively campaigning for a managerial job somewhere because he knew his legs were, were giving out. So that was kind of the context of, of them coming through Alberta. And Babe Ruth, that's the other thing too. Babe Ruth wasn't, yes, he is probably the biggest baseball star ever, but he was just so much more than that. He was a, a bona fide global celebrity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was getting swarmed at every train stop, uh, kids around him trying to get baseballs and pieces of paper signed in Revelstoke and like him just, the, those guys just, 20 minutes stops where they're just signing things left and right. And um, so, yeah, that was, even though, like I said, they didn't, uh, they didn't play here. Even them just making appearances was really cool. And, and by the time they get to Vancouver, uh, where everyone played, both groups had played, um, it was raining, of course. Because <laughs> it always played. rains in Vancouver. <laughs> yes. But they still played in front of 3,000 fans. Uh, and uh, at Babe Ruth's insistence, they were uh, they were looking to cancel that game, and the Babe said, uh, "You know what? If uh, if these fans are are going to stick around, so are we. Let's get out there." Uh, so so give him credit for giving Vancouver a bit of a show, and uh, yeah, then after that, I was off to to Japan to uh, to sell the game there. And of course, uh, part of the tie-in on all of this is that the regular season for Major League Baseball did start in Japan last week, obviously, with Oakland and Seattle doing battle. Uh, when you come back to this story, though, is the what I found great about it is that you actually were able to find some of the cartoons. You had a box score in there. I mean, you put a little bit of work into this one, didn't you? You took a little bit of pride in it, I get the feeling. 
Yeah, it was, well, it's just a fun story to research. Uh, I mean, after you kind of zero in on the dates uh, they were here, which was uh, October uh, 11th through uh, October 27th of 1934, he kind of narrowed it down for searching newspaper articles. And some of the, some of the great cartoons of the time that you don't really see uh, used by newspapers uh, nearly as much anymore were just really interesting and really cool. And um, yeah, and then of course after the the stars left for uh, Japan from Vancouver, there was another group that came back to Alberta on their way back uh, to play in Alberta a second time. So they had played, and uh, one of the games was at Drum Heller. So, you know, I don't think Drum Heller, no offense to Drum Heller, but good luck getting, you know, major <laughs> leaguers to play in Drum Heller anytime soon, right? So just a really historic trip. And I just, one I found completely fascinating from, you know, how much it cost to attend the game, which was $1.25 for adults and 50 cents for kids. Yeah. <laughs> like just to see some of this, uh, some of this talent that uh, once in a lifetime opportunity, just fantastic. And not only that, but the clown prince of baseball as well. Some of those stories are yeah. a barrel of laughs all in themselves. Yeah, Al Schacht, uh, a former major leaguer, and he uh, he was the, the clown prince of, of baseball, as you said. And he got that title for um, basically he could do great impersonations, great uh, mimicry of all the major league players. So a lot of these games obviously were lopsided. <laughs> the, uh, the All-Stars quite handily beat most of their opponents. Uh, with their only loss actually coming in Medicine Hat at the very end of their their trip. And um, so he was kind of there. You needed some comic relief and someone to uh, break things up from the All-Stars just kind of pounding on the local talent. And Shaq was the the perfect guy from that. He would climb into the stands and he'd announce the games. uh, You know, while like certain innings, he'd do like a mock strip tease during the warm-up. So just a really funny guy. He also apparently had this really slow motion pitch that it, it literally looked like a video slowing a pitcher down as they go through the, the windup and just all those kind of things that uh, no, you know, no matter what you were seeing in terms of the major league talent, you would always walk away from the game. Just thrilled that you got to see Al Schacht and, and his performance. Absolutely. Again, if you want to see more on that, albertadugoutstories.com. It was just posted uh, over the last couple of weeks here. We're going to take a quick timeout. And by quick, it's not going to be super quick because it's a discussion coming up next with Scott Richmond. Yes, the uh, former Toronto Blue Jay, former Edmonton Cracker Cat, is on the move again. He's going to continue to play baseball this year, and he's coming back to his home country. We're going to chat with Scott Richmond next here on Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. Scott, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about your latest endeavor here. You're going to Quebec. What uh, what brought that all along? Well, um, I've heard nothing but fantastic things about the Capitals, and I've actually played against them in 2015 for a game. And uh, the fan base there is really cool, and the city is really cool. I'd never been there before, but uh, no, I have a few good friends that are on the team, and uh, you know, it, it's just intriguing. Uh, I was trying to get down to Mexico and uh, further, you know, another country off the list. But, uh, you know, it's a little late in the season for that. And I hope maybe if an injury happens or something. But uh, as of right now, I'm ecstatic to go to Quebec and, uh, you know, just join a couple of ex-team or current Team Canada members, Dustin Mulliken and uh, Tyson Gillies and a bunch of uh, Canadian players that have been there for a year, Carl Jelena and 
Pat Scalabrini is the manager. So just a lot of uh, well-known names in Canadian baseball. And uh, I'd like to, you know, try and go help out and bring a championship back to Quebec. It, you know, it's, uh, it's just always fun to be back in Canada for sure. I was going to mention, I mean, you've been all over the world thus far, and we'll, we'll talk about that because last even few seasons here, you've, you've certainly uh, notched a few sp- uh, pegs off the the old passport but talk about that being able to return to canada your home and native land to be able to uh, play the sport you love and and do it at a at a pretty decent level too yeah you know at this point in my career i just love to give back to the canadian kids too and uh if i can go out there and you know be a role model on the team and you know there's a bunch of canadians that play on the team as well so that'll be you know extra enjoyment for me and you know, throughout my whole career, I've always liked to help people along the way. So at this, uh, you know, veteran leadership role that I've kind of taken on, it's it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, anytime, you know, I'm around Canadian baseball players, I really try and put the, the extra effort in to, to teach them the game and tell them, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, being the super hard thrower or the home run hitter. It's just kind of figure out your niche in the game and be really good at what you're you're good at and that might be your path to you know climbing the ladder so uh, i'm excited to get over there and you know help out with camps i know they do a bunch of camps in the local area so all the above you know it's just gonna be really good to be back home Talk a little about the last few years where you have been uh, jet-setting across the world and, and talk a little bit about that, that aspect of being able to see the world from a different viewpoint and a different lens through the game of baseball. Yeah, there's baseball all over the world, and there's lots of countries that are extremely passionate about it. Uh, for example, Asia, it's second best area for baseball, and Japan's the second best league in the world. So, you know, they have a very competitive fan base and uh, insane league uh, that obviously, you know, Ichiro just retired from this morning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, uh, it just shows they're producing really high caliber players. Uh, Korea has a really another great league and I played in Taiwan for two years, which is the third best league over there, but their fan base is uh, very passionate about the game and they're willing to learn and uh, they're, they're climbing the ladder as well internationally. So, you know, that's not even getting to Mexico where they're just diehards and, you know, Europe's starting to come along. I was in Italy last year and that was really great. Uh, you know, they have, uh, I think six or seven teams. Uh, covered throughout the uh, country, and uh, my family went over there for six months, and that was uh, amazing. It's a gorgeous country in the summer, and uh, the baseball was really quite good. You know, I'd never know what to expect and just go over there and compete, and uh, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised. And then, yeah, like I said before that, two years were in Taiwan, and we won a championship over there, and the way they celebrate, the loud noises during the game, just kind of everything. You don't quite know exactly what to expect until you're doing it because in america it's quite quiet when you're pitching you, you hear the slap of the glove the crack of the bat over there you don't hear much except for people screaming chanting singing songs making noise as you're throwing the ball so that's a big difference and it's been a lot of fun and then also internationally you know it's uh it's different everywhere you go the, the fields aren't always 100 percent. you just kind of grind it up you get on there and take care of yourself and and try and execute to the best of your abilities. And it's just a different challenge, but it's been a lot of fun along the way. Talk a little bit about the aspect of the culture side of it as well, because you get to immerse yourself in that side of it away from the diamond. Yeah, no, that's a big part of it. Uh, been really fortunate to be able to bring my lovely wife, Deanna, and girls, Haley, Sierra, our twins that are six, and Juliet just turned four yesterday, actually. So 
They have been traveling all over the world with me, and they've had a really good time. They've learned uh, multiple parts of multiple languages and uh, kind of make a joke about it. As we're headed to Quebec this year, it, we're not going to play in any other uh, cities that speak English. We need to go to uh, foreign language as the first language, and then English as the second language, no matter where we go from here on out. So uh, we'll get them learning a little bit of French. And my wife uh, took French all the way up to grade 10 in school, so she's going to be uh, enjoying learning that again and picking that back up. But, no, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Taiwan's gorgeous. It's like a little Hawaii. It's very humid, lots of waterfalls, lots of waterfront. Uh, obviously, Italy's stunning. We saw 40 cities in six months. Um, you know, just just everything. We don't, we don't really sit in the in the hotel when we when we go to these countries. We travel around. We push the kids, and uh, we really try to make it uh, enjoyable for everybody. A little bit for parents, a little bit for the kids. Stop, grab some gelato, find a swing park, go to a splash pad. Just kind of embrace it all, and they play with all the kids, even though they have no idea you know, what they're saying half the time. They just kind of see you having fun and they, they go embrace it. That's got to be a, a cool aspect of it is not just, you know, the interactions and that, but you mentioned the gelato part. So I'd imagine you guys have had uh, quite the experiences, even with the kids in terms of the food you've eaten and, and the, the drinks that you've had. Yeah, uh, food's definitely been uh, challenging at times, especially in Taiwan. The kids are <laughs> a little bit younger, uh, but you know, they have white rice over there, obviously, and that's pretty easy to come across. And, you know, if you can get some chicken without the head on the chicken and uh, that, that should be good. And just don't let them see that and they'll be fine there. And you just kind of make it work. Um, my wife's been a really trooper, the real trooper this whole time and found creative ways to, to get them their vegetables and, you know, and get them their stuff while we're living in hotel rooms. And, uh, you know, Italy was different too, as you know, the pastas and, it's all the taste a little bit different. It's actually a lot healthier over there. They don't have all the, you know, the stuff that America allows in, GMOs and stuff. So I thought I'd be gaining a ton of weight over there, and I sure didn't. I came back a little skinnier with all the, uh, the humidity. But, no, uh, the kids have been great. They're not the – they don't just kind of quite eat everything, but they're definitely not too, too picky. It's cool. Just before we hit the microphone, we were talking about how uh, how important it was to be able to bring your family along for this venture and talk about that aspect of being able to share these experiences with them and especially with young kids growing up, getting giving them that uh, opportunity to see the world. Yeah, and, and you know, with uh, the like you said, we're trying to expose them to as much as possible. It's not just selfishly for us to go see the world. It's it's we're pushing this to give them experience that outside the world, this is how people live. You live in a smaller place. And my wife and I also look back and we're living in tighter quarters than we would in America. And it's kind of nice. It's, you know, you're living a less stuff and totally downsized and you don't have a lot of stuff to clean or, you know, there's no dishwasher. You're hanging your clothes to dry. There's, there's just a washer or dryer. Um, but it's, it was really nice. And the girls learned to hang their clothes and, um, you know, it just, it just teaches them a lot. And in Taiwan, we wanted to put them in school there, but over there, they, they start school at like 7am and don't get out till five. So it's a little hard to do anything if the kids are locked away in school all day. So, uh, when we came back and they started kindergarten this past year, we decided to put them in Mandarin immersion. So they're doing half day Mandarin, half day English, and they're having a great time. And, uh, yeah, just kind of things like that. Just keep challenging them and, 
they're sponges. They want to learn, and we want to keep you know feeding them as much info as possible. When you first started this baseball journey, would you have ever expected that you'd become the globetrotter that you have become? Uh, I don't know. Um, no, you know, you can't. I guess no, for sure. I'm not like, oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to travel everywhere playing baseball. Everybody always says it when they retire. It's kind of funny. And the minors like, oh, yeah, when I'm done, I'll go, I'll go over here. I'll go to Mexico, and then I'll go over here. And then, and then life kind of hits you, and you're like, well, I can't do that. My wife has a job, or uh, we have a newborn baby, and maybe, you know, we're not – comfortable bringing them abroad we'll miss our parents things you know things like these happen and uh or financially you can't you can't quite you know <clears throat> excuse me uh figure it out but um no it's been a, it's been a really good time um we've had a blast doing it and i couldn't have imagined as far as it's been and there's still a few more countries along the way here uh got some stuff coming up this year and hopefully be able to wrap this up 2020 Tokyo if we can qualify for the Olympics for baseball Canada. So that's kind of the, the, uh, the, the top of the, the pinnacle here. I was going to ask about that is, do you have any countries that are left on the bucket list that you go, I need to get there before all is said and done? Well, it's hard now because I'm a lot older than I was in my prime. So it's hard to kind of get back into those countries. Um, I had an opportunity to play in Korea. I signed over there. I hurt my knee in spring training when I went to join them back in 2015 and they released me and didn't pay me. So I had to go through a whole pullet or uh, 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 lawyer ordeal and it took four years, but <clears throat> we ended up winning that dispute. So, but that was unfortunate because that really took away opportunity from Korea, which would have been lucrative and challenging and, uh, overall, really good experience for my family and I. But, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> the Pan Am Games are in Lima, Peru in July this year. So that'll be really amazing to go down there and see South American baseball um, or play international teams in South America at an Olympic event, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Pan Am or the Premier 12 is in November in Seoul, South Korea. So I'll be getting back over there and that'll be really fun. Uh, it would have been nice to play in Mexico. I did play in a Pan Am game in Guadalajara, so I got to feel the vibe from the fans and all that. And uh, the league, I've heard nothing but good things in the winter leagues and summer leagues. Uh, New Zealand's on the list. Hopefully this winter, which is summer down there, uh, my dad's a Kiwi, and Auckland Tuatara uh, is a team I just played for for a month this January, and they're uh, up and running again here, and they're going to be joining in the ABL. So be nice to bring my family down in New Zealand to where my dad was born and and uh, show them that beautiful country. So, yeah, there's a few more things along the way, um, and then hopefully Tokyo in 2020. So, you know, uh, just we're doing a tournament by, tournament by tournament now and just trying to stay healthy along the way. Do you have a favorite place that you really loved going to more than any other? I don't know about favorite. I I really enjoyed Panama. I I didn't realize the city was so gorgeous and it had a really beautiful old town and it had a really beautiful new downtown. Uh, we saw the Mayo Flores canal, which is the Panama canal. And, uh, you know, the big stadium there is very cool. Uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty, pretty cool to be there. And, uh, Taiwan's always got a, a place in my heart just cause it's kind of where I went with my first team Canada uh, event and I ended up going back there and playing and we've had a lot of really good memories there and a lot of good wins there and my family was able to come there and see where we won you know um, big games over there and uh, championships so 
and the people are just absolutely amazing over there. So, you know, uh, those two things for sure. And then how can you not say Canada, you know, uh, playing for the Jays, being a Canadian, growing up watching them and kind of making a dream come true by doing that. Uh, that's got to top the list. And going right back to the very beginning, I mean, this is Alberta dugout story, so I wouldn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about your time in Edmonton, three seasons worth. What do you remember from those to, uh, those three years? Those three years really built me to the person that was able to handle what was coming up for me. And it wouldn't have happened without the guys that were on that team. Uh, there was a lot of veteran Team Canada players. Stubby Clapp was on the team, Jeremy Ware, Mike Kusevich, Ryan Redmanovich. Uh, you know, there's lots of of very good baseball players that came out there. Reggie Rivard had AAA time. And, um, you know, they just taught me how to be a professional. I had no idea. I came from Oklahoma State, wasn't able to get drafted, and they found me, brought me up to Edmonton. And, you know, they, they'd all played affiliated ball before. They'd all couple of them had made the big leagues and you know they 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 knew what it take they took to get there and i had no idea so it was really nice to get out of college and be with a bunch of veterans which was unique because i was an older college guy and i was always the the quote-unquote veteran in college because i was 21 years old as a freshman so i was always you know three years older than most guys in my class so to go to a team where i wasn't the oldest finally was nice because I was able to kind of learn from these older guys and they really taught me you know you give up five runs in the first inning okay that's it that's all they get buckle down and go five innings go six innings for us keep us deep into the game don't kill the bullpen or if you you go seven innings no runs you know just stay the same even keel don't walk around like you know your top dog just kind of head down work hard for the next outing and they really taught me how that worked and they ended up contacting the Blue Jays and Baseball Canada and letting people know about me and I can't uh, thank what that organization and uh, the players that were there when I was there really did to me. Another big part of your time in Edmonton would have been that transition from closer to starter. How do you think that affected the way that your life in baseball ended up turning out? Absolutely. Um, I'm always trying to learn. and I was closing, um, and I was doing fine at that, but I didn't throw hard. And I'm trying to figure out how to get out of independent ball and have people notice me. And when you're low 90s, high 80s, as a closer, that's not really going to get anybody looking. So I figured for me to get out of here, I have to become a starter. So I called them up and said, yep, I'll come back and sign with Edmonton, but I want to start this year. And they said, no problem. So I I started and, you know, I I was 10 and 9 or something. Like I had a ton of outings. Um but I, we were on a four-man rotation, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, I was getting worn down pretty good there, and I was doing a lot better than my numbers showed, but, you know, they just noticed that, you know, I, I would take the ball every four days and go out there and throw my heart out, and they, a lot of the veteran guys, and they really appreciated that, so they were able to put their name on me and say, you know, I vouch for him. If you take him, you know, I know he'll be a hard worker for you, and uh, I hope I didn't let him down and did what they uh they saw on me then. When you look back on your career, you've, you were part of a couple of uh, opening day rosters. We are, opening day is upon us now. Talk about the butterflies that you get when you know the season's about to get underway and it's for real now. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. Uh, you know, anytime you can go out there for an opening day start, it's big. You know, the fans are excited. 
Uh, it's a little colder out. Everybody's bundled up, and you know you're just excited to get back out on the field and get all the fans cheering for you. And um, they make a big deal of it. There's jets flying over. It's it's always fun, especially in Toronto or the big leagues. But um, you know, just in general, it's 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 like here we go. It's a new, fresh slate. Everybody's on the same page. Who put in the most work? Who's feeling good? Who's going to have a great year? Who's going to step back? And you're always trying to build off what you did the year before and learn. And it was really fun. And I was able to pitch an opening day in, uh, in uh, Detroit in 2009. We had four games at home, and I was the fifth starter. So I ended up pitching the opening day for the, against the Tigers. And that was uh, really special. That was a big moment for a rookie guy. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a bigger event, huge flag on the field. And, uh, yeah, something, just stuff you'll never forget. You know, you can't forget the way you felt. And uh brings it back to being a kid. It's, it's not everybody's out there like, yep, this is a piece of cake. Everybody gets butterflies. Everybody before big things, singers, golfers, you know, when it's just the, the wondering, the unknown. You're not quite sure what's going to happen. You're pretty prepared. You feel really confident, but you, you never know what could happen. A comebacker come and hit you right in the forehead. You don't know what could happen. So little nerves that come from that, that, that keep you young and keep you grounded. You mentioned off the top about the opportunity to uh, work with some younger guys and you've accepted that role as a leader and, and as the veteran. And I'm wondering, for going into this season, what kinds of messages would you have for whether they be your teammates or just those who are maybe listening to this podcast and getting ready to rock and roll for the upcoming season? You know, just... Just keep working hard. It's the whole thing. What A lot of guys in the offseason have put in a lot of work. Usually they take a little bit of time off at the end of the season, but come around December, they're right back on it again, and they're pushing hard to prepare for the upcoming season. And it's not exactly easier. Now the grind gets longer, um, but this is where all your hard work pays off. So a lot of guys are excited to get out there, see how they're feeling. They're feeling great through spring training. If they've had a bad spring training, they're here, all right, shake that off, no big deal. Don't let it beat you up and uh, get focused on a clean slate in a new season. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just what it is. It's just what it is. It's like have a short memory. That's what I try to do. If I go out there and give up five runs in one inning, I'll guarantee you I'm not giving five runs up in the next inning. Or if I go out there and go six zeros, I'm challenging myself to go that seventh inning and not give up a zero or not give up a run to keep a clean slate. Um, so it's just, Inner, inner challenges within yourself that keep you motivated and, and hungry to keep going forward. How much of it for you is still fun? All of it. My body is uh, not as limber as it once was, <laughs> but I try to really keep it in good shape so that I can perform with the young guys. Um, I'm not going to win any foot races, but I take pride in my defense. I, I command the strike zone well. I, my velocities come down a bit, so I have to pitch even more. I'm not blowing anything by anybody. Uh, you know, I, I, I try to lead by examples. Uh, you know, it's just overall, you know, not partying all the time, trying to, you know, to do this game, you got to keep your body. You can't, you can't be feeling like a bag of hammers every day. So you got to make sure you're getting your sleep and being a good father and husband and all these things, keep your mind clear so you can go out there and perform and, uh, it's all important. It's all a big package. And, you know, as you well know, baseball is a mental game. And the more mentally strong you are and prepared, the better chances you have to be successful in it.
My final question for you here, Scott, last time you and I chatted, uh, one of the big takeaways I took was that that idea of legacy and being able to uh, leave the game when it does happen, uh, knowing that you were extremely grateful and having a, a lot of appreciation for um, the experiences that you've had. Talk about that side of it and what you're looking forward to and what you look back on with fondness and uh, just your overall viewpoint, I guess, of, of where the game has taken you to this point. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. It's like, you know, I just want to, you know, make sure I was known for a guy that did it the right way, uh, worked hard. And I know it's cliche to say that because a lot of people say they do it the right way, but um, that means on and off the field, you know. So I just want to make sure that, you know, um, my kids are proud of what I've accomplished. And when I'm when I'm done, that I, they came with me the whole time. I don't want to do this if I'm gone. And, you know, family's first, right? And, all my own personal accolades are fine and dandy, but things change when you get older and you keep playing and you want to make sure your family's proud of you and, you know, carry yourself that way. And, you know, I've, I've had a lot of great memories. I've met a bunch of amazing people that I still keep close in my life. And that's something I'll really take away from this as well. And the, the relationships we've built and, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting and, and then there's also the second part of whatever the second half of my life has in store that, you know, I, I try to challenge myself with that and excel in that department and, um, you know, be, be grateful of what I had and remember the good memories of playing baseball and try to stay in the game a little bit along the way. Scott, a pleasure to chat with you once again. Thank you so much for doing it in podcast form this time and all the best going into the season with Quebec. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there in Quebec. Big thanks to Scott Richmond for joining us for an extended conversation here on Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. And joining us again here and now is my co-conspirator in all things Alberta Dugout Stories, Ian Wilson. And Ian, speaking of conspiracies and spies and that kind of thing, I did want to end that conversation about uh, the Tokyo Fan Club story that you wrote on that particular aspect of things. Mo Berg, give me that story. Yeah, Mo Berg is a, a very compelling, interesting uh, ball player uh, from that that 1930s Great Depression era. Who um, basically a backup catcher most of his life, but uh, incredibly intelligent uh, player who is Princeton educated. And he was in that uh, wave of stars. He was with riding the rails with uh, uh, Babe Ruth and, and Lou Gehrig and um, and that group. And he was. He wasn't really on the tour because of his baseball skills. He was he was on the tour uh, because of his language skills. He spoke, I think, seven different languages, and Japanese was was one of them. So at the time he's on this trip, uh, the media went to him quite a bit because he was always a really good quote, provided uh, in, very interesting stuff about Babe Ruth and just his place in in baseball and, and society at the time and his star power. And uh, also just teaching the players a little bit of uh, konnichiwa and uh, some, <laughs> some of the Japanese uh, phrases and sayonara huh? and stuff that is a little more well-known now, but uh, just enough that the players could get by. Uh, and what he had with him on this trip, too, was a, uh, uh, a camera, a video camera, that he had been uh, basically contracted out from Movie Tone News uh, to take images of his trip through Japan. Um, and uh, he did that. He took uh, some game stuff and uh, also footage in and around uh, 
Japan and what he did with that when he got back, because it was very hard to kind of get in and out of uh, Japan at the time from the West and, and take, uh, you know, take video and let alone pictures. So he was able to go up to a very tall building in Tokyo, film some of what was happening and provide that as um, uh, some intelligence uh, to the, the U.S. government at the time. So they had an idea of what was going on in Japan industrially and militarily, um, you know, uh, heading into um, heading into the, the World War that was coming up. Right. And uh, he also, after his baseball career, he became a, a spy for, for the U.S. And uh, that, that story, a great story that was uh, written in a book called The Catcher Was a Spy. And that uh, book was also made into a movie uh, just last year that Paul Rudd, uh, had the the starring role as as Mo Berg uh, of the same title, and I believe that that movie's on Netflix for anyone want, anyone who wants to find it. But just a really interesting uh, story and totally fascinating uh, character of the game. Yeah, no kidding. It's uh, again go to albertadugoutstories.com for uh, for that story. And it's been a busy month for us. In fact, it's been one of the busiest months on our website. Uh, so a big thank you to all of our supporters, all of our viewers, all of our listeners for uh, taking a moment to uh, take in some of the content that we've been able to pump out there. Uh, baseball season is actually upon us, though. We talked about it in last week's episode, but Ian did the full write-up on albertadugoutstories.com with the Canadian College Baseball Conference, and uh, all the games started, or most of the teams outside of the Dinos started up this past weekend. Uh, how excited are you that we're actually talking about real live baseball here instead of dreaming about it because it's cold and miserable outside? It, it's great, isn't it? Because you get, of course, you get uh, pitchers and catchers report in February and you get things winding up uh, spring training wise. And usually this time of year, or a little bit before, you know, when that is happening, we're looking outside at the snow and you know, dreaming of uh, yeah. spring coming. And now it's it's a lot more tangible that uh, spring is, is going to be here soon. And I, I know with the uh, Canadian College Baseball Conference, it's always a little bit tricky because of the weather here. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so it's just great to see that, that starting up. And, um, yeah, for fans in Edmonton, the, the Trappers are back, right? Yeah. <laughs> crazy never thought that i mean it's a different brand of baseball clearly but at the same time i'm sure a lot of people are waxing nostalgic especially after i mean you were part of the weekend that ended up getting rained out but you got to do the ron kittle weekend up in edmonton as well right so uh, that city's kind of they, they've got everything going for them baseball wise not necessarily hockey wise not to rub that in oh <laughs> you had to bring that in eh had to. yeah well I'll, I'll stick with baseball on that one i'll plead the fifth <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah i and it's uh it's great to see i think with that uh league so uh edmonton collegiate uh becomes the third alberta um franchise on that circuit and the seventh in the in the league uh, or in the conference and um the other ones being prairie baseball academy down the left bridge and uc dinos as you you referenced and uh it's just great to see another uh form of baseball in edmonton and and using remax field as well and uh one thing i really appreciate with these games too is these are um free of charge you can go down to uh go down to the games in lethbridge or uh foothill stadium here or at remax field uh, you don't pay for parking you don't pay for, uh, you know admission to get in and a lot of these players, you will see some of them in uh, the Western uh, Canadian Baseball League as well. So it's a good caliber of game. 
and you know, there's no concessions at the game, but you can bring your own food and snacks and things like that. No alcohol, mm-hmm. of course, but uh, yeah. So it's a uh, it's a good to, good product and a, a, one that I hope fans will kind of take the opportunity to to go and watch and check out and just a nice kind of lead into the the WCBL season as well. Absolutely, and and get into the baseball spirit. And I know a lot of people are going to be taking in not only that, but also uh, the start of the baseball season, Major League Baseball-wise, is coming up. Would you believe that, or if I would have asked you before you saw the list, because what we're Ian and I are working on right now is a little bit of a story on the coaching staffs in Major League Baseball and how many have connections here in Alberta, guys who played here, not just the guys who came through while they were part of the Great Falls Dodgers, as an example, but those who played with some of the big teams here, whether it's the Calgary Cannons or the Trappers or Medhap Blue Jays, the Lethbridge Dodgers, all those guys, we're looking into that. And I'm gonna I'm gonna preview it a little bit here, but I wanted to know from Ian's standpoint if I would have asked you before you saw the list that I gave you, what team you thought had the most representatives, who would you have thought it would have been? I wouldn't have known this had I not done a little bit of research, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I would have guessed um, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And surprisingly, the answer is actually the Arizona Diamondbacks. <laughs> and it all starts at the very top, Tori Lavulo. And from there, even his bench coach played for both teams. Tori himself played with both the Edmonton Trappers and the Calgary Cannons. And there is a total of six guys who have connections, but we're going to give you a whole deep dive in that in the days ahead. We're just kind of putting all the pieces together and finishing up all the writing on that front. So a lot of great things still to come on Alberta dugout stories, as well as here on Alberta dugout stories, the podcast, but we're going to wrap this thing up because it's uh, not only did Ian and I talk for a long time, but we also had a great conversation as well with Scott Richmond in there as well. So uh, Ian, thanks so much for joining us as always on the podcast. Thank you very much, and to all of our listeners, hope you enjoy uh, opening day festivities. If you're in the Calgary area, please come down to Inner City Brewing, where they're having a viewing party, and uh, I'll be around for that. Uh, so come come find me, and we can chat baseball. I may even bring a uh, bag of goodies and, and some prizes to hand out as well. If there's anything that Ian Wilson is good for, it would be exactly that. Somehow he manages to scrounge up some sort of obscure baseball stuff. And I don't know where he accumulates it or nay, not even that where he stores it all might be the bigger question to ask. I might have to have uh, his wife on here before too long to talk about, you know, how many arguments they might've had over storage of said, uh, said stuff. So uh, looking forward to that, looking forward to the start of baseball season. And of course, looking forward to just seeing some bright, sunny thing in the sky before too long. So we can enjoy some baseball in person here in Alberta. Again, a big thank you as well to all of you who have taken the time to download and subscribe and listen to the podcast. If you haven't, already please leave us a rating and a review because that will always help us in terms of getting the word out there about the podcast so without those kinds of things we couldn't do it without you so a big thank you and a big shout out to all of you for supporting alberta dugout stories the podcast and alberta dugout we'll talk to you again next time